Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 17 through 30. This morning I titled our message, Good and Faithful Servants. That should be the prayer of each and every one of us today, that we one day would hear those words, Good and Faithful Servant. Father, that is our desire, that we would honor you, that we would glorify you, that we would magnify your name. And Lord, we know at the same time as we submit to you, it's you that make us good and faithful servants. So Lord, we thrust ourselves upon you. We come with open ears. We want to hear. Lord, we want to hear the exhortation, the encouragement, Lord, that we would hear from you and be moved by your Spirit to walk in that straight and narrow path that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's here in our text today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 through 30, we see three godly men. We see the Apostle Paul, his partner Timothy, and Epaphroditus. They were all together in Rome at the same time. If you remember, Paul was a prisoner, prisoner in his own rented quarters. Though chained to a soldier, he was free to carry out his work unhindered, and people were getting saved. The community was being unpacked. Timothy, apostle's son, that is in the faith, had been with him for some time. And he had a kindred spirit, Paul would say about him. Epaphroditus, on the other hand, had been sent by the Philippian church to bring financial support to Paul and a minister to a needs. And these three men were knit together geographically, spiritually, and were fellow soldiers in the ministry together. They were working with one heart, one mind, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Each, though, were passionately, individually devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and together, as I said, one in spirit and one in mind. They were not consumed with their own special interests, but it was all for the glory of God. And each man was willing to lay down his life. In fact, he risked his own health his own freedom, his own life. Scripture makes it clear. Of course, first referring to Jesus Christ, there's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for another. And we see these three godly men laying down their life for the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. Look with me at verses 17 through 18. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul. It says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. It's here in verse 17 that Paul reveals this strong possibility of his imminent martyrdom as apostle. But it was his love that characterized the Apostle Paul and the ministry. Not fear, love, 
marked that ministry, a love for the Lord, a love for his work. That is the work of the Lord and his people that are surrounded him, God's people. He loved and he loved the unsaved, but especially those among his fellow Jews. Notice on the screen, Romans 9, 3, for I could wish that I myself would be a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. He would do almost anything, give up his own salvation if only his brethren would come to the saving knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, God in the flesh. But you know, he also had a special love for believers. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of the heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. You know, I love that Paul did not have a difficult time saying, I love you. When's the last time that you told someone that you really love I love you, that brother, that sister, that brother or sister in the Lord, the physical brother, that companion. Every one of us love to hear those words that someone loves us. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. And whosoever believe in him, that's you, that's me, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Paul understood well his special calling, his giftedness, and empowerment, which the Lord would hold him accountable for. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, he addresses that. Let a man regard us in this manner, service of Christ, Stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is required that stewards, that one be found trustworthy. Paul knew the importance of being faithful and found trustworthy. Now, believers must be and know and do all that God expects before they can require commitments of others. It's so easy to say, You know, he's not doing this, or you need to do this, and yet maybe we're not walking in that straight and narrow path. But a good teacher, a leader, or even a parent should be able to ask others to observe them as well as they listen to him. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Every one of us should model a godly person, and one that is a faithful servant. Ezra also understood this well, because in Ezra 7.10, he says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Notice he set his heart to study the word, to study the law of the Lord. It wasn't enough just to study it. He had to practice it. He had to apply it. He had to work it out. He knew it wasn't enough just to hear, but it needed to be lived out in his life and then to go on, notice, to teach his statutes and ordinances to Israel. 
We have the responsibility to pass it on, or we've been given that great commission, and we're to go and make disciples. In Philippians 4, 9, notice what it says. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, you know, the believer is to continue learning. That's what a disciple is, continually learning and growing. And he receives these things, you know, from from his teachers and from the word of the God and from the Holy Spirit. He hears them and he sees them in the example of those that he's followed. And he practices them. He puts them into everyday life. It's where the rubber meets the road. And notice, again, the God of peace will be with you. Notice Paul's offering in verse 17, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering uh, upon the sacrifice, the service of faith, you know, that idea, but even if, could be translated since. Since Paul is being poured out, Paul's really saying, again, in the original language, that his life is being poured out for them. He's living sacrificially, and every Jewish, and even the pagan would understand that sacrificial system. How an animal would be given a burnt offering, totally consumed upon the altar, to show his complete and voluntary dedication of oneself to his God. And Paul, that's what he was doing. Voluntarily, committed, giving himself over to God for the work of God for the sake of the loss that they might come into that saving knowledge. And this was all done in a thanksgiving. He was thankful. That's why he gives himself voluntarily. Look at Leviticus twenty-two twenty-nine with me. When you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, notice the word Lord, all caps, that's the covenant God, that's Yahweh. You shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It was a thanksgiving offering, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Fear, or let's say reverence, respect, and honor. So thankful for what God has done that God's hand was upon them. Is a reverential feeling of accountability to God in Christ, acknowledging what he's done. Now, Paul pictures his death as a, a drink offering, pouring out his life, an offering to Christ. In fact, when Paul is writing in Romans 12, 1, this is what he's thinking about. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, Paul saw his life, not his death, in the ultimate act of everything that he was doing was a sacrifice unto the Lord. In fact, if you remember, Paul knew very well to remain on in the flesh was more necessary for the sake of the Philippians, and he was convinced of this. And I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of the faith. Paul was committed to God, but he was committed to the people. He knew that God had put him in this place. God has put you in this place, wherever it is you're at. God has a plan and a purpose, and we are to be faithful, and we're to be thanking him for the opportunities that he gives us and season it in the power of the Spirit. 
giving our lives away unto the Lord. Like Peter, Paul saw all believers as, as being priests of Jesus Christ. They were living stones, being built up in a spiritual household for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that would be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And the Philippians, well, they were partners with Paul in this sacrificial service to God, especially through the, the ministry of Epaphroditus, we'll see in a few moments. They were suffering severely for their faith in extremely hostile pagan environment. Does that kind of sound familiar? Our world's becoming much more extremely hostile, more pagan, more immoral, more violent. The more the church grew, the more it was resented and persecuted. And they were standing faithful. Look at Luke with me, 14, verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? See, as believers, it's not just saying a sinner's prayer and everything is fine, your life is going to be together. No, the moment that you become a believer, the problems begin. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted in some way. It means that we now become his bondservants. We're willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the Lord, for the work of the Lord. The young man, Jim Elliott, a missionary, understood this well when he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott died as a, a missionary, giving his life for those that would kill him, that they might come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. His wife later on, years later, would go down and, and share the gospel with these people that took her husband's life. Wow. Well, look with me again, verse 17. We see Paul's rejoicing. He, he writes, therefore, again, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. Jump down to, to Philippians 1, 14, and it says, And most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment and far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul saw how his life was example, how it was an encouragement to others, and others were taking steps of faith that, that had never taken that step of faith, and Paul was just stoked. Paul was blown away. And everything that you go through in your life, whether you see it or not, God is using it for the good. God's empowering. God's stirring. God's using your life to fan the flames in the life of someone else that they too would follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Notice Acts 21, verse 13. Then Paul answered, what, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm... I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are difficult words, but you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. To be absent the body means to be present with the Lord, and in his presence is fullness of joy. 
When we begin laying down our life, this is where we find that fullness of joy. This is where we find that peace that passeth all understanding. And this principle is so difficult for the self-centered one, the worldly believer, to understand how missionaries can live for years and under primitive and demanding and even dangerous conditions, yet they still maintain this joy. See, the joy of the Lord can never be taken away because you know God is using it and you know the hope of heaven can never be taken away. But for Paul and the Philippians, daily they were giving their lives sacrificially to each other and to God. They had learned that the, the greater the sacrifice, even greater the joy and this is true for many Christians, both in, in Israel and the West Bank. As I just had the opportunity to see and, and see the, the Christians being persecuted. And yet there was a joy, there was a love, there was a passion. But all of this is, it's, it's only momentary, but it's producing us eternal weight of glory far beyond any comparison See, Paul's love and concern for the Philippians was so intense that he was willing to give his life for them as if they were an offering to God. I, I don't even question that any of us here that have children would give our life in a moment if they would come to that saving knowledge of God and they would serve and live for God. But that's a hard thing to comprehend for someone that you don't know, that that unbeliever, that angry boss, that, that person that's living an immoral lifestyle. Would you give your life for them? That's what missionaries do. They give their lives up. And see, we're seeing this godly person, Paul, example that we too should be following. Paul said earlier, Follow me as I follow Christ, because these are the very things that Christ did. Well, look with me. We're going to look at Timothy now, who is really a, a single-minded sympathizer. Look at verses 19 through 24 with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of a kindred spirit who generally is concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately. And as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. See, Timothy also modeled this, again, true spiritual servant. Timothy was first a, a willing son, a, a disciple tried and proven time and time again. And there was a close bond between Paul and Timothy. So Timothy, as, as I was saying, was a good example of what a godly minister, a missionary, should look like. He was passionate. He was obedient student of God's word. He had a good reputation. 
And he was loved, and he was faithful. He was generally, as we saw in our text, concerned about others. Second Timothy 4 it tells us he was dependable. He was devoted to Paul. And his message in Romans 16 was a message of Christ. Paul spoke of him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, my true child in the faith. So he was a believer. And this is what a believer's life looks like. Paul also described him as my beloved son in 2 Timothy 1. He led him to the Lord in so many words, spiritually that is. And Paul described him as his fellow worker. Side by side, equal. Working for the glory of God. Second Corinthians one one, he was called our brother. He's your brother. You're my brother, my sister. We're also fellow workers in, in the harvest. We are also children of faith, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And learning day by day to be more and more obedient to the word. Philippians 1 1 says Paul calls him a, a fellow bondservant. And that speaks of the fact that he had no rights. He had given all of his rights over to Jesus Christ. Let me read Philippians 2 20. For I have no one else of a kindred spirit who generally was concerned for your. Welfare. Paul's really saying, look, he's equally sold. One sold, like-minded, this kindred spirit. He really cared for the people the same way Paul does. See, you could teach about ministry, but ministry is something's really caught. You see it lived out day in and day out. We put ourselves under those people that are walking as Christ walks, and we learn how they learn to trust in God. We get in the word, we study the word, we apply the word to our lives. Timothy was faithful. He was dependable in every way. And he clearly was qualified really to be an example for the Philippians to emulate, to just really copy. And it's never surprising when we stop and think about it that, that Paul was eager to send Timothy to them shortly. The only specific reason for Paul mentioned for sending Timothy was so that they might be encouraged when they learned of the Philippians' conditions. Paul, Paul wanted to know how they were doing. But the goal of true discipleship is reproduction, and we see that truly in Timothy's life, and he will produce that in the lives of those he comes in contact with. When a person is fully discipled, Jesus said he will be like his teacher. See, as you and me are disciples in Christ, the goal is that we become like Christ. Over the course of time, Timothy came to think like Paul, act like Paul, believe as Paul, and give himself over to the Lord just as Paul did. To evaluate the situations and everything that he would go through through the eyes of Jesus. He trusted the Lord like Paul, prayed like Paul. Oh, I don't mean the particular words, but he prayed passionately. He prayed directly to the Lord. He prayed specifically for certain things. 
He saw the needs of the people. And he knew what God wanted for them. And he wanted all that God had for them. Both these men of God had the same qualities of soul. They were similar in their passions, similar in their objectives, similar in their zeal. Verse 22, Timothy is well seasoned. Because Paul did not have to to convince the church of Philippi of that because they knew that he had proven worth. Timothy had proven character, tested many times in the service of the Lord. He had this tested value. When the agitators from Thessalonians forced Paul to leave Berea, Timothy and, and Silas were entrusted to remain there and carry on the work. They were the problem solvers in many ways. Timothy lived sacrificially by ministering with Paul for the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And you see that in verse 22. And from the time the apostle chose him to serve alongside him, Timothy had surrendered any personal plans, any agendas he had for his life, because his only agenda was seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, knowing that God would take care of all things. Like Paul, Timothy considered himself under an obligation to preach Christ to everyone. As a person grows and matures in the Lord, one of the things they they recognize, like Paul, says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. As you and I grow in the Lord, we recognize that we have a calling. God has called us and God's empowered us, and we have this responsibility, but not only a responsibility, a desire to tell others, to minister to others the love of Jesus Christ. Paul would say in Romans 1, Verse 14 and 16, I'm under this obligation both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So as for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to to you also who are in Rome. And he goes on and says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Greek. Paul knew the importance of God's word. Another quality of Timothy was the quality of just being available. Timothy learned this from Paul. And again, Timothy was a reflection of Paul. Paul was a reflection of Jesus Christ. The context makes it clear that Timothy was willing to do whatever Paul asked him to do. Simply, Timothy did not have his own agenda, his own ministry, his own mission. He was staying in tune with what the Lord had. He was checking in daily and regularly for what God had for him, and he knew that God had placed him next to Paul. Being available to the Lord essentially meant being serviceable to the Lord's apostles. Paul then added, and I I trust in the Lord that I myself also will come shortly. He did not minimize the value he could be to the church at Philippi by ministering to them in person, whether or not he did. However, it's clear he had the utmost confidence in Timothy. Do others have confidence in you? 
Could they reach out and say, you know, John, Susie, Tim, would you do this? Would you go and pray with this person? This family's having a difficult time with their finances. Would you go sit down and help them? Or they're having a difficult time with their marriage. Could you sit with them? Could you encourage them? Could you fan the flame? Could you open the word with them? That's what we're called to do. Well, there's a third example that we see as a spiritual servant. That's really in verses 17 through 30. It's in the life of Epaphroditus. Another protege, a, a co-worker, Paul. Look with me in verse 25. But I thought it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. He was not apostle, as far as anyone knows. He's not even an elder, like like Timothy. There's no record of it, anything outstanding that he accomplished. Uh, nothing is known about his family, his personal background, his conversion, how long even he had been a believer, or any special functions in the church in Philippi or Rome, elsewhere. But what he does... He exemplifies the spirit of sacrifice all for the sake of Christ. Involves no public acclaim, no prominence, no high office, no great talents, no great gifts, no attention called to him. He was not this noted preacher or teacher or leader. You know, that's what makes it so cool because his example seems to be more relevant, even attainable. He was just like you and me. And we can assume that Epaphroditus meant the apostles' high moral standards and spiritual standards. And he had the soul of a servant. He was willing to go to Rome, help Paul in any way he could, for as long as he's needed, even if it meant laying down his life. First thing I want to call your attention to, again, looking at this Epaphroditus, there's three titles that are given to him, you know, speaks of that relationship to the, the apostle himself. First, he was a brother. Paul saw him as a, a companion in the Lord, one who had committed his life to the Lord. And I like that because he uses the word, my, my brother. It's personal. And he was a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. He was a messenger, a minister. Look with me in Philippians 4.18, for, for I have received everything in full and have, a, have abundance, and I'm amply supplied to having received from Epaphroditus, which you've sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, a well-pleasing unto God. See, he was just simply a messenger a minister bringing money, money that was needed for Paul because he was in prison and Paul had to pray for his own rent for that place. He was willing to do the little things, which seems so unimportant to some, thinking that they're waiting to speak or evangelize the next Billy Graham. No. He was willing to do whatever the Lord would put on his plate. He wasn't above anything. 
Look at verse 26, because he was longing for you and was distressed because he had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy upon him. Not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And Paul reasons for the sending of Paproditus back. It wasn't because he was tired of serving Paul. He was not merely homesick or restless for a change in work and scenery, nor was he afraid of any harm might fall upon him. Paul's titles really kind of gave him to show that he was a faithful worker. He wasn't abandoning the job, an uncompleted job, but he was a loyal soldier right to the end. He was in the trench day in and day out. He wasn't again abandoning his post. But he, and this is important to understand, wasn't distressed about his own condition, his own welfare, but it was exclusively about the Philippians who were concerned about him. Look at verse 28. Therefore I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice. And I may may be less concerned about you and receive him in the Lord with joy and hold men like him up in high regard because he came close to death, notice, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Here's a man totally dedicated. He's going to be sent back by Paul to minister to the Philippians, and certainly it ministers to Paproditus. Paul was willing to deny himself and send him. He would hold him until he knew he could let him go. But as Paul was concerned, Epaphroditus would be concerned too. The Philippians had, had not asked for Epaphroditus to be sent back to them. It was really Paul's idea. And it was carried out really on his own initiative. And he knew the lost would be their gain because Epaphroditus was a blessing wherever he would go. That reminds me, it's so important. We can pray, Lord, bless me, bless me. But you know what our prayer should be? Lord, make our lives a blessing. A blessing to you, a blessing to one another, a blessing to this community, a blessing to those that don't even know you, that when we bring the truth that their eyes are opened, See, Paul selfishly exhorted the Philippians to receive him then in the Lord with joy. It's a stark contrast to those men. Paul, beloved brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, was risking his life for something immeasurably more valuable than money. All three of these men, just incredible servants. This is the work that God wants to do and you and me. Now, when we think about these three men, you think of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were one at heart, one in mind, kindred spirit, but they were three different individuals. Paul was bold, and he was a fearless leader, and Timothy was quiet and devoted assistant. Epaphroditus is diligent. He was the, the worker behind the scenes that no one really knew but dedicated to the Lord. Yet all three of these men 
manifested the characteristics of a godly leader and a life worth imitating. This is my exhortation. Follow these three men, their examples. Apply it to your life. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, knowing he will add all things. The only way this is going to happen is when you and I decide that we want more of Christ. Is that your desire today? Do you want more of him? He's there with open arms. He's wanting to fill your life afresh today. All you need to do is call upon his name. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. This precious. It's exhilarating. It's stirring us to move closer, to serve you more, to pour out our lives, to walk as those have walked before us, those examples. Just as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And Lord, that's our desire that we would come to that point that we could say, follow us as we follow you, Lord Jesus Christ. That's our desire to be more and more like you each day. And all God's people said, Amen.